You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, Lord, how I need you. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to want to have control in my life. And I want to tell myself that I'm the one that, that can direct my own steps and make things happen in my own life. And it's, it's when I think those things that, uh, that the Lord has to slap me upside the head sometimes like, hey, it's, it's not you that's at work. It's, it's me. God has to remind me that he's the one that is all powerful. He's the one that is sovereign. He's the one that is in control of all that there is. And and that is a good reminder because I mess stuff up a lot of times. <laughs> I just get in the way and uh, things go sideways pretty quick. But when, when God is in control, he, he makes everything right. And we go through different seasons in our lives, but God is ultimately in control. This is what we're going to talk about this morning, about how God is in control. Man, this is just refreshing. And, and to try as we might, we try to make things fit and we try to force things to happen. But when we realize and let go of all that stuff and let God do what God does, uh, things turn out very differently. Uh, if you think about, it, about your own life and about the things that, are, that have happened, the things that brought you here today, if you look at the, the number of years before now and all the things that happened in your life, they all add up so they can be who you are today. And we might be in different seasons as we sit here today, but the fact that you're here and you're breathing, and the fact that you, you live in a place where you can freely worship, uh, that's God. The, the fact that you have a roof over your head and, and food in your belly, some of us more than others, but that, that is God at work. That is something to be praised. That is something to be grateful for. And not because of who you are, because who God is. God is in control. And we just miss that all the time. I think we're so busy in the hustle and bustle that we, we forget about this. We forget that God is in control. Uh, Libby and I celebrated our 22nd anniversary this weekend. And so we got time to... Thank you. Praise God. We, we got an opportunity to do just that kind of, we have these milestones to go back and look at and think about how we got to where we are, right? Did, did we ever think that we would be where we, where we are here today? We didn't know there was a place called Bowenbrook 22 years ago. <laughs> we didn't live here. And, and so, and, and, not to mention, I say this a lot of times, there was no way that I thought I would be pastoring a church. But the fact of, when we look back at our own lives personally, uh, from the time that we first got married and the, the trials and tribulations that we went through, the, the fun times, the enjoyable things, the, the children that we have, the family that we're surrounded by, it's uh, nothing but God's grace that we're here today. Um, because not everybody has a testimony. And so uh, I am personally grateful. But what about you? When you look at your own life and you look at the past year, five, ten years, or whatever it might be, recognize what God has done for you in your own life to make it here. And I'm not saying that everything is going to be rosy and perfect, 
because over 22 years, we've, we've had some bumps along the way. We have some challenges. But because we put God in the center, we were able to lean on him, and he was able to help us to work out those things and to be able to press forward when times were tough. What is your testimony? When you look back at your own life and what's going on, uh, the trials and tribulations, maybe you're in the midst of a storm right now. Uh, I heard a preacher say you're either going into a storm or you're coming out of one. What is God doing for you in your life? How has God orchestrated things in your life? Let me tell you something, there's no coincidences. People in the world like to talk about coincidences. They like to talk about karma and all these different things that are fictitious. And they, that's not real life. What's real is God and his sovereignty and his orchestration of his kingdom. As, as you think about what God has done for you in your life, we have an example here this morning in, in Acts chapter 23 and 24 about how God orchestrates things. And what's interesting, I want you to notice this this morning. As God is, is, is uh, having his hand on this situation, we're still dealing with Paul going through, he's going to be in front of the governor here today. I want you to notice how God plays this out. And we're not in Genesis and Exodus, right, where we see these miraculous things happening. There's no burning bushes. There's no voices from heaven or none of that stuff. Look how God uses everyday things to accomplish his goals this morning. It's amazing how God works. And I love that we're able to be able to stand back and see his fingerprints on any and everything. God has a way of working where he uh, takes the various things and he accomplishes purposes, good, bad, or indifferent. And even when we can't see this happening, we're just going about our daily lives and we just think stuff is happening, but it's part of God's sovereign plan. Let me remind you of a verse we left off with last week in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Here it says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. If you remember, Jesus himself appears to Paul and provides him some great encouragement. He provides him exactly what he needs, and he promises Paul that he would get to Rome. It's this injection that Paul needed at the right time because he wasn't sure. With all this mob, mobs were coming up and the people wanted to kill him, he was like, I, I'm, I'm supposed to go to Rome to stand trial for all the stuff I'm being accused of, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. Jesus shows up and says, don't worry about it. I got this. You're going to make it to Rome because this message needs to get to Rome. This morning, we're going to see how God uses various people and circumstances to accomplish his very agenda. And, and, and often for us, if we're paying attention even, we don't see how God is working in our lives. However, just because things seem quiet, it doesn't mean that God's invisible hand is not at work. So let's follow on in Acts chapter 23, starting in verse 12, where God's word reads, When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor to drink till they had killed Paul. <laughs> 
Let me stop there for a second. So they were so upset. They wanted to do away with Paul so bad. It's like, you know what? We're not going we're not going to eat, sleep or sleep or drink or anything. We're not going to do anything until this man is taken out that he's dealt with. And that's some serious stuff. Like we're we're going to put away everything and make sure that our plot goes through. Sidebar 13. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chiefs, priests, and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tri- tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him, but do not be persuaded by them. For there are more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who had bound themselves by the oath neither to eat or drink till they have killed him. And now they were ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, uh, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Wow. Paul's nephew just so happens to be in the exact place where these 40 or so men are plotting against his uncle. Let me tell you, if if the Lord can make sure that Paul's nephew is in the right place at the right time in order to destroy the plans of the people that are going to kill Paul, then he can certainly take care of you regardless of whatever it is that you're dealing with. Again, there's no coincidence here, but Paul's nephew, uh, by the way, we don't know much about Paul's family. This is the first time we're hearing about his sister and his nephew. He just so happens to be around within earshot to be able to hear this plot that is going down. Let's put this in perspective. Uh, We serve a God that is sovereign and powerful. You know, I can do my own taxes, but I, I'm not that good at it. So I choose to take my taxes to a, a tax professional because I'm not going to fool with the IRS. I don't know about you. You can take it in your own hands. Maybe you're, you're better at it than I am. Or, you know, we had a problem with our furnace a few months ago, and I looked it up on YouTube to see how, you know, what the problem might be able to be and if I can fix it. But I came to a point where, I, you know what, I, I, that's not something I should fool with. That's not my expertise. I need to call somebody who knows about furnaces and to be able to come in and fix it. By the way, it took them like 15 minutes to fix it, but um, they charged me (laughs) pretty good to take care of it. That's how it works. 
But when you when when you think about things in your own life, and some of you are are good, you're you're handy men, you're able to take care of stuff, or handy women and able to take care of things in your life. But there comes uh, certain things in your life, or certain things you need to take care of that that you don't have the expertise, you don't have the knowledge, and so you want to call somebody, you phone a friend. that we don't consider that when it comes to issues that we have in our lives? Why don't we go to a God who is sovereign? Do we serve a God who, who spoke in the universe, leapt into existence? Why is it when we have spiritual issues or moral challenges that we don't first fall to our knees to the God who is able to do something about it? Why don't we phone a friend, phone a father in this case and say, well, I don't know what's happening right now in my life. I'm being challenged this way or that. What, what, Lord, what, what, do you, what, what do you want me to do in this moment? How can I be obedient to you? What is working out in my life? Because God is the one who was able to do something about it. Why don't we have that mind? Uh, we often think, I saw this on Facebook the other day, you know, when nothing else works, pray. That's backwards. The first thing we should be doing is praying. The very first thing, and it might be the only thing that we do, but I tell you what, if you're trying everything first, you're gonna wind up in a dead end because God is in control. He is the one that could do something about it. What makes us think we, we can do something? What makes us think he can't handle our trials? This God that did all, all the stuff that we see and the, the, the miracles that we see throughout the scriptures. Why isn't our first response to our issues to fall on our knees? That's why we have our emphasis this year on prayer. You know, we've been here for 54 years, and, uh, you know, I, I believe that God put us here to do much more than what we are currently doing. I believe that God has a plan to revitalize this church, and that, that you know, I, I have a vision to see this, this church being uh, packed with multiple services so that people might know the name of Jesus and be discipled, and that we would leave this place to go uh, and evangelize and talk about who Jesus is. But in order for us to get there, we need to be on our knees. We need to ask God for his strength and his encouragement and his power to do any of those things. And I believe if we're faithful, if we truly seek him in prayer, Bolingbrook is going to know First Baptist Church is somebody, man, those folks just love the Lord. They're always out here serving and they're, they're there to have encouragement for us. They're here, they're tutoring in this place, and they're, they're cleaning up the parks over here. We're serving over here and over there. Those First Baptist Church, man, they got something. I want to know more. I want to know more about this Jesus that they serve. To someone on the outside looking in to this particular situation here in the text, they would think, wow, that's a, that's a huge coincidence that his nephew was out there. But if you're a Christian, you would know that there is no such thing and God is sovereignly at work. And that's why I always tell you that nothing and no one 
is insignificant to God. All of you matter. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or a sanitation worker. You matter to God. You have a place in his kingdom. You have a part to play in advancing that kingdom. Look, God already told Paul that he would get him to Rome and here he is using Paul's nephew to hear this conspiracy so that he can make Paul aware and then Paul goes, tells the Roman centurion, this Roman centurion, if we read further, goes, tells Lysias, the, the, the tribune, uh, Lysias then protects Paul. The guy that was going to kill him in the, the previous chapter, by the way, he's now protecting Paul. Lysias goes on to order 200 inf infantrymen, 70 mounted soldiers, 200 spearmen to ensure that Paul makes it to Caesarea. Because as a Roman citizen, Paul had a right to go stand trial. And, and so and, and they couldn't usurp that. They had to go and make sure this happened. And so Lysias goes and has this, all this protection our God is so powerful that he even uses the secular government to accomplish his will. Wow. This is crazy. Don't we see this throughout scripture, though? Don't, don't we see how God rules over the affairs of people and nations? We see this time and time again. Proverbs 21 and 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That's the God that we serve. That's the control. That's the power that he has. And as we get into chapter 24, Paul gets an audience with the governor. His name is Felix. And the, so he's here and the, the prosecution comes up and they start pleading their case or perpetuating lies. As they go on and talk about the stuff that he, he's supposedly being charged of that he didn't actually do. They say haters going to hate, right? <laughs> so they're going to make up things in order to catch Paul. Uh, look with me in 24 verse 5. It says, we have found this man a plague. One who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from uh, him about everything of which we accuse him. Listen, uh, people who oppose Christ are going to go to extreme lengths to oppose his kingdom as well. They're going to do whatever they got to do, whatever they can do to oppose God's people. They will do whatever they can to blaspheme the name of the Lord. They will do this with skill. They'll do it with political maneuvering. They'll do so with lies. Whatever they can pull out of their pockets, they will do. But brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be surprised. But we should be prepared. This is no different than today. All the things that we see happening in our nation, in our world, and people bemoan the, the, the political atmosphere that we're at. And why would they do such a thing? Because they don't know no better. 
We, we shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like the world. We should be surprised when Christians don't act like Christians, though. We shouldn't be surprised, but we should be prepared as kingdom people, as Christ followers. We should be prepared to proclaim the truth, to stand on what is real and what is important. In verse 10, Paul is allowed to speak and he provides his defense. Remember, through much of the book of Acts, we see the apostles and the missionaries, they're on the offense. They're going out and sharing. They're going out and advancing the plays, right? And now we see more of the defense as well, mounting a good defense at that. Paul provides a public witness of not only his innocence, but also takes the opportunity to share the gospel. Man, it's amazing. Time over time, Paul is uh, defending himself, but more importantly, proclaiming the good news. I wonder how many of us can be described like this. I wonder how many of you are so filled by God's goodness and, and grace that your cup just overflows. How many of you are here today? None. Okay. I got some work to do. I got some work to do. But I pray that you all would be so encouraged, that you will be so filled up, that you will be so excited that you can't help but share the good news with those who need to hear it. And a matter of fact, just to be sure, even those who need to hear, those who already heard it, that you continue to share it. Because even as Christ followers, we need that reminder. I hope that we can be here and be encouraged for that. Paul says, first of all, I didn't do anything. All that stuff that you said about me, I, I didn't, that wasn't me. I didn't do any of that stuff. Look with me in verse 14, chapter 24. It says, but I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. He goes on and ends up to say that if there is one thing that he is to be charged of is for the proclamation of the resurrection of Christ. Like if you're going to charge me with something, I know it's going to be this. I know you guys don't agree. And Felix here seems to be familiar with Christianity or the way as it was known then, but he decides to postpone the decision. He should have gone and, and he heard Paul's plea, he heard the prosecution. He, could, he should have laid out his judgment there at the time, but he decided not to. After a few days, Paul, or I'm sorry, after a few days, Felix with his wife, Drusilla, uh, called Paul to see if he would change his tune. Okay, you've been kind of sitting and marinating in jail, so if you want to get out, you know what I need to hear. If you want to leave this place, you need to recant what you're talking about, or at least have enough sense to, to give me a bribe. So that even if you don't want to recant, give me some cash to put in my pockets, and I'll let you go. But Paul... <laughs> <laughs> he don't know no better. He starts talking about Jesus again. 
He's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that, sir. Here's what you need to know. He starts sharing the gospel, and Paul talks. He tells Felix about uh, what, what God's word says about righteousness. He tells him about man's sinfulness. He talks about judgment and what's coming. Paul is intentional to show that uh, a Felix, uh, to talk about a, a God who is, is holy. And, and even though Paul is the one in jail, he's, he's telling Felix, you're the one that's being bound. You're the one that uh, is not free. Even though I'm, I'm here being secluded, you're the one that is bound by sin. And you will continue to be in bondage until you meet Jesus. Isn't that something? That he's able to have that perspective on life that, look, you take all this stuff away from me, but I'm, I'm concerned about you. As free as you think you are and as important as you think you are, that's nothing. That's nothing without Jesus. So Paul's putting on his game. Paul is coming and, and mounting a fierce defense. So what does Felix do? Were his eyes opened? Did he repent and turn away from his dead-end life? No. I wish we could say he did. Matter of fact, he doubles down. <laughs> and Felix, he doubles down and says, man, get out of my way. Get out of here. I don't know if you're, that's the Vaughn Sanders edition. That's, that's what that says. That's the, but the ESV, it says this in verse 25. It says, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and, and coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present, for when I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. And at that time, he hoped the money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him after often and conversed with him. Even uh, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So this isn't really a... Uh, a, a great story. It's not a happy ending for Felix. As you're trying as hard as he could, he 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 hoped that uh, Paul hoped that he would come to Christ and and get to know him. But that's not what 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 happened here. But for us, here's what I want us to take away: regardless of your circumstance, God is there. Paul knew that. He believed that. He, he lived by that. He knew that he was doing the right thing. He knew he was serving a sovereign God who was in control. And that's what he stood on. And the same is true for you. The same God that Paul serves, the same God that we serve today, who was here with us. He was there with Paul in the jail cell, and he's here with you in any and all of your circumstances as well. God is there for you, for you to turn to, for you to trust in with everything. Knowing this, Paul was able to stand up and be firm in his foundation and still share the gospel. And, and I want you to be inspired by this. I want you to be inspired to share God's word courageously 
and calmly both in public and in private. That's what we've been asked to do. Paul here shows us what obedience looks like. I know it was tough. Physically, mentally, I can't imagine going through what Paul is going through. And that's why I believe Jesus showed up to him, right? Because he was, Paul was probably at the end of his rope. And Jesus comes and is like, hey, I got you. We're gonna, I'm going to make sure this happens for, for his sake, for Jesus' sake. So we see what obedience looks like from Paul, but on the other hand, we see Felix showing us what rebellion looks like. Instead of choosing to follow Jesus, Felix doubles down and wants to continue on his own way. Felix seems curious about uh, what, what Paul is telling him. And, and maybe even to an extent he has some conviction about what he hears, but he'd rather hold on to his idols than surrender himself to Christ. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been in a place where I'd rather hold on to the idols that I've constructed in my life than doing what God is calling me to do. Majority of my life, actually, I spent running from the Lord. Knowing he was drawing me and me actively being disobedient. But fortunately, God got a hold of me. Fortunately, and hopefully God got a hold of you. Here we have Felix who hoped to preserve his career by keeping Paul locked up, but instead he's replaced by Festus. You know, instead of uh, getting more money, he wanted, he, he cared more about uh, growing his bank account than he did about following Jesus. He cared more about that instead of the gift of eternal life. He got no more money. What do you have at the end of the day? My question to you is, what are you holding on today? I'm not perfect at it. I, you know, I talked about how I, I struggled, how I, you know, was disobedient and, and went away. And man, it's an everyday struggle to be honest with you, because the 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 world, the evil one, is is, is strong. To telling me some of the things I like to hear that, that make me feel good. To tell me the, the riches and success are over this way if I just stop doing these things over here. What are you holding on today? Where is God drawing you? How is God wanting to use you? What, do you, what idols have you instructed in your life that's preventing you from following the Lord. That's getting in the way. I'd love to talk to you about this. Don't, don't, don't just think about it and, and try to deal with it on your own. God is in control. If you've got an idol, if you've got something in your life that is preventing you from getting to God, from serving him and worshiping him, we need to fall on our knees right now. We need to go to him to help us out of this, 
how how can we let go of this? How can we serve the Lord better? Why why do we need to serve God? If that's a question that you have today, let's have that conversation. This is not some fictitious thing that we just dreamed of. There's there's substantial evidence outside of the Bible to to uh, authenticate and, and and talk about all the things that we see here in the scriptures that verify it. You know, no no learned person that has studied this would deny the authenticity that there was a man named Jesus that did the the things that we read about in the scripture. If anybody says that, they haven't studied any of these these scholars that have given their lives to study this. We've got archaeology. We've got all these things to substantiate above and beyond what we have in Scripture. It's not a myth. One of my podcast episodes, somebody had that response like, do you really believe in this myth? And I played a little coy. I'm like, "What, what myth? So we went back and forth in the comments about, you know, the myth. And he, and he had a good point. He said, well, you know, we, all these wars are started because of religion. And we've got this God and that God. So um, how can there be a more than one God? Oh, how can there be more than one God? And he says, well, the, the Muslims say their, their God is the God. And then you have the, the, the others, the Jehovah, Jehovah's Witness and so on and so forth. So who's right? There, there, there can't be more than one, can there? I said, no, there can't. And I, I said, hey, as we read the Bible, God says he is one. And, and we can't have two things that are true at the same time. The, the, the God of Muslims and, and others, I mean, if you read and understand what they believe, it's different. There can't be more than one. And I thought I had him. <laughs> but then he's like, okay, I understand. We agree to disagree. Thanks. But I'm hoping that that, that lingers with him. That that lingers and like, man, how can this be? And I'm like, no, I'm agreeing with you. It can't be. So I hope that God brings somebody into his life to continue on. But if that's a question that you have here today or any others, that's why I'm here. I'm here to equip you to, to, to help uh, you understand your place here, help you understand and know Jesus and who he is. Mark 8 and 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the world and to forfeit his soul? That's what the world would have us to do. Let's say that the success and money is outside of all these things, but you can have all that stuff and still be lost, still be downtrodden. The wisest man in the world says, who had everything that you can imagine, says it's just in vain, it's just vapor, it's just breath. It's here one minute and gone the next. But what we have with God is for eternity. First Timothy 6 and 9 says, but for those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Something that you can learn from Felix is that time is short and it's not in your favor. I'm asking you, I'm urging you to repent, which is a, a, a churchy word of asking God for forgiveness and turning away from that. I'm asking you to do that and trust in Christ while you still can. Choose today who you will serve. Believe it or not, you're serving somebody. Either it's Jesus or somebody or something else. And if you're a Christ follower, Go tell somebody. Go tell. How could you hold it to yourself? Go and tell about Jesus before the people in your life run out of time. They need an opportunity to know him and embrace him, and that's why you're in their lives, so that you can do that. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much. I don't know about anybody else, but I am amazed how you work in, in the lives of your people. And when you see all these things laid out, I don't understand how people can say these are coincidences or happenstance, karma, whatever it is. I can't see it anything other than uh, your hands at work. And Lord, thank you so much for revealing that to us. Thank you for showing us how you work among your people and that we don't need to carry the burden, the stress of a lot of things that are going on in our own lives, that when we look to you, that you would guide us, you would shape us, you would mold us into what you would have us to be. Help us to live on that. Not just for ourselves, but that we would go and be able to share it with others. That other people might also be able to have hope in this hopeless world. Gracious Lord, we thank you just for loving us enough and in that way. We pray to all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.